This is Linux Reality, Episode 24, Video Applications. Hello, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, my name is Chess Griffin, and I'm the host of this podcast. Uh, you know, I received a few more donations this past week, and I just wanted to thank you all for doing that. I just, I'm very grateful, very humbled when people do that, and and as I said it before, those fees go, those donations go straight toward my hosting and Libsyn fees, and so they really go towards uh, helping produce this podcast. And uh, I really do appreciate it. I certainly am not doing this for the money. I'm just doing it for the love of of Linux and and my desire to give back to the community. And so. Any help that people can give in, in regards to those those hosting fees and all that, I sure do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, I've also asked a couple of times, I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes about working on voicemail options. I'm, I don't have any updates there. I'm still I'm still trying to get to really investigating that. In fact, things have been really busy for me these last couple of weeks. I haven't actually had a chance to explore all the options that people have sent me, but. I've got a few ideas, and I've, but if you have any other ideas, if, if anybody out there has got any ideas about voicemail options, whether it's web-based or telephone, just send them to me. Just please keep those suggestions coming. You know, I realize that if I do a telephone voicemail system, that it might cost people money to call. I mean, I think most of the free voicemails, you know, the telephone number is a is a toll charge. There's a charge to call the telephone number, and it's probably expensive for folks within the within the U.S., and it's probably even more so for all of our international folks, and you know, since this podcast, like Linux itself, has an international community, and I really want to, you know, this is this is an international podcast as far as I'm concerned. I want to make sure I find something that works for everybody. Uh, one person emailed me and mentioned Odeo's web-based voicemail system. I do have this podcast set up in Odeo. There's a channel for it or whatever they call it, so I need to look into that. I just haven't done that yet. And but but of course you know web-based voicemail doesn't help people who who don't have microphones and that's what I'm trying to avoid because that's the whole audio comments thing is only good for people who have microphones and it may not be helpful for people who have slow inter- uh, connections to the internet. There are people who've emailed me who said they still have you know a dial-up and stuff. So maybe I'll have to set up more than one system. Maybe I'll have a telephone number and a web-based voicemail system. I don't know. I'm still it's still kind of up in the air, but I just wanted to let you all know I'm I'm still working on that. So. And if you have suggestions, please shoot them my way. Also, um, I tweaked the uh, website's homepage, the Linux Reality homepage, to make the RSS feed for the Og Vorbis version of the podcast easier to find. I, I mentioned this last time, I think. At least I hope it's easier to find. It should be in the right-hand column. There should be just a link that says subscribe, and then you've got MP3 feed and Og Vorbis feed right there, right next to each other. We've had that Og feed since you know the third or fourth episode so the feed's been around a long time the feed is not new but i think people just had trouble finding it so anyway if you if you can't find it let me know and hopefully it's easier and uh the other thing i'm going to try to do is put direct links to the aug files uh in each episode show notes just like the mp3 my only question i've got to try to figure this out is whether or not if i put two links in the show notes whatever whatever i put in the show notes shows up in the regular MP3 feed, which is what iTunes uses. And, you know, 75% of this audience gets the podcast through iTunes, and I don't want to mess up the iTunes feed. So I don't know if I put two, you know, enclosures in the feed for the MP3 and an AUG, whether that's going to screw up the MP3 feed and, and then mess up iTunes. I don't want that to happen. So anyway, I've got to look into that. So if you got any ideas on that, let me know. 
Uh, let's see. Last week we took a look at various productivity applications, uh, office suites, word processors, spreadsheets, financial management stuff, and hope you found that helpful. A lot of people sent me email and said that they really did. They, I think most people knew all that stuff I, for the most part, but I think it was good for folks to kind of hear it all in one place. Uh, this week we're going to take a look at some video applications, and uh, when I say that I mean video players, video editors, and some DVD creation type tools. A lot of this is command line driven. That really, I mean, I'm not going to focus on the command line stuff. I'm going to focus on the, the GUI interfaces. I've mentioned this before. So much in Linux, so many tools that you use in Linux, so many applications are really command line applications. It's just that there's a graphical front end, as they say, which, which, you know, takes your input in the, in the GUI interface and then passes it off to the command line script or command, whatever it is. And a lot of these, these applications that we'll talk about today are just just like that. So, but I won't talk about the command line stuff, just uh, the, the the GUI tools. So, first though, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, sir. Okay, first feedback here I've got is from Justin. And Justin says, "Hey, Chess, I've been listening to your show from number one, and thought." And though I'm not a new Linux user, I found your show interesting and have to say that your style and the show structure is set up very nicely to, for new users. Keep up the great work. That's from Justin. Thank you, Justin. I always say it's nice to hear from the Linux veterans out there to make sure that I'm doing a good job and I'm on the right track. And uh, I love the fact that so many people in the audience are Linux, you know, experienced Linux users, even though this podcast is really aimed at new users. I, you know, it's great to have everybody in the in the audience, and hopefully, those Linux veterans will help help out in the forums too. We've got a lot of really good stuff going on there, and it's been some interesting discussions. Uh, and I, I think I've mentioned I thought about bringing those into the podcast at some point, but anyway, I won't do that yet, but I will soon. So thank you, Justin. Um, let's see, the next email I've got here is from Aaron, and this is interesting. He uh, says, "Hey, Chess, I'm Aaron." I'm a Mauritanian of Indian origin, and I'm now studying in Melbourne, Australia. I guess that's what we call globalization. Boy, ain't that the truth. Uh, most importantly, I use Linux for almost everything except printing. I have a wind printer and infrared data transfer for my mobile phone. There must be a way to do this in Linux, but I'm still looking for it. I'm currently downloading episode 23, so I thought, why not drop a few words? I sincerely think you're doing a fantastic job. I heard about Linux some four years ago, and this has always been a love-hate relationship. But lately, last six months, the improvements in the desktop Linux community has been exponential, and Linux on the desktop is really enjoyable. I've been using GNOME for the last six months. I just moved to KDE. GNOME is a must-have for newbies, far better than KDE for this particular purpose. But once you get used to Linux, you come to appreciate the flexibility of KDE, though I've heard that programmers tend to like GNOME better. Why are your podcasts fantastic? Because for once, newbies don't have to open a manual or waste precious hours online, which has oh so many times put me off. The idea of Linux reality is great, but being able to put time aside uh, for for to do it is even greater, and to be able to continue doing so in regularly, hey man, you are now on the 23rd podcast, is even more so. Keep up the good work. Respect, Aaron. Well, thanks, Aaron. That's a really nice email, and I sure do appreciate that. See, that's what I mean by the international community. That, that's just amazing. He's Mauritanian of Indian origin, and he's now studying in Melbourne, Australia. I mean, I'd say probably, I don't know what the percentage of the audience is in terms of nationality, but um, I, I think it's it's very broad, and that's just, that is just so awesome to see. 
I've said it a million times, you know, this Linux is just a great international community effort, and that's what I hope to reflect here in this podcast, and I think the audience definitely reflects that. So that's just so so cool. Thank you so much, Aaron. And uh, let's see, got one more here, quick one, uh, from Ramiro. And he says, hey, Chess, love the shows you've been producing. Will you be focusing more on software for future shows? That's a question. Do you have any favorite third-party bootloader software? Are, are you planning to upload new shows weekly or not? Sincerely, Ramiro. Well, let's see, Ramiro. Uh, let me take this one at a time. Focusing more on software for future shows. Well, I think we're going to go back and forth. I mean, there'll be times we'll talk about particular distributions. There'll be times we talk about software, either one piece of software or groups of software, like we're doing this week, or, you know, the more hardware, networking, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so many things to talk about. So I don't, you know, I mean, I've said this before. I have sort of a general framework of where I'm going and I'm more or less sticking to that, but I deviate here and there. And it kind of goes all over the place because I do think there's lots of different topics to talk about. As far as favorite third-party bootloader software, well, in the past I've used uh, uh, BootNG, which is uh, Boot Next Generation. And uh, that's that's one piece of software that, that's good to use. There's also um, Acronis, which is a commercial application for Windows. you got to you know be in Windows to install it. I've used that in the past as well. And there's a few others. I'll put some links to some more. But BootNG is one that I've used probably the most. There's also, I think, one called, um, gosh, uh, OSL or something. I'm not. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, of course, as I do this. I, was, I remembered it 30 minutes ago, and, of course, now I forget it. Anyway, um, there are lots of good ones out there, but I would check out BootNG. And if you're using, if you're dual booting with Windows, check out the Acronis software as well. I guess the only problem with the Acronis is they used to sell it separately, which is great because you could just buy that one little piece. And of course, nowadays, you know, like Norton and all these other companies, they tend to put everything into one big old suite. And I think they've now done that with their bootloader, unfortunately. So uh, anyway, those are just a couple ideas. And as far as uploading new shows weekly, yeah, I've been on a weekly pace since the beginning. In fact, I haven't missed a single week. We've been going straight every single week. And uh, I don't plan on making it more than more often than a week. It's uh, hard enough to do it once a week. And, uh, you know, there may be times I skip a week here or there, that kind of thing. But basically, we're sticking to a weekly schedule. So thank you so much for Miro and to everybody else who sent me all the great feedback this week. I sure do appreciate it. Uh, so let's see. With that done, let's check out this week's listener tip, which is pretty interesting. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see esk, Kataral, and pickup. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Hello. Welcome to this week's listener tip, all about the powerful command called Elias. Elias is spelled A-L-I-A-S. It allows two powerful things. First of all, you can add your own custom nicknames for commands. Let's assume that for some reason you don't relate to RM and you prefer delete. Just open up a terminal and type in Elias delete equals between single quotes RM. Once you do that, Linux will recognize both commands RM and delete. The second thing you can do is to assign new default behavior to a command. Let's say that you want the system to prompt you for confirmation every time you remove a file. Usually to do that, you have to add the I switch to RM. Instead, you can make a default behavior using Elias. Just type in Elias RM equals, between single quotes, 
rm-i. Furthermore, you can combine both behaviors. Elias delete equals between single quotes rm-i. Finally, you can undo any Elias using unalias, spelled u-n-a-l-i-a-s. Just type in unalias delete. As a result, delete is no longer recognized as a valid Linux command. To find out more about Elias, just click on the link in the show notes. In conclusion, Elias is interesting for its own sake, but also as an example of what people mean when they refer to Linux as a powerful and flexible operating system. And now, back to Chess for the rest of this week's show. Okay, uh, let's see. This week, as I said before, we're going to talk about video applications, and I break them into sort of three different sections, video players, video editors, and then DVD tools, whether it's DVD authoring tools or DVD ripping encoding tools. But, you know, the first thing you got to talk about right off the top, unfortunately, are the legal issues uh, with regards to the codex and, and all of that, both the legal issues and the free software issues. Now, I, I don't, you know, have any real knowledge as far as the legal background of all of this stuff goes, but... As far as I understand it, you know, the ability to use codecs, whether it's video codecs, audio codecs, or video uh, decryption software, is highly controversial and is illegal in a lot of places, including, unfortunately, my home country of the U.S. It's a very sad state of affairs. But um, there are people who believe in something called fair use, and I know that that is a legal doctrine. And again, I'm not going to get into all that kind of technical legal stuff, but um, suffice it to say that you need to do some investigating on your own, both as to find out about the legalities of using various codecs and whether or not you feel that there's some sort of fair use exemption um, or exception for, for your home use. I mean, I certainly do not condone, personally at least, pirating anything. I mean, that's, to me, that you just, I'm not talking about, um, you know, um, getting a movie off of BitTorrent that you don't own or, or you know, um, sharing music, that kind of thing. I mean, I understand that there are pirating issues, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, to me, the gray area is when you own the content. You know, if you own a DVD, it seems like you ought to be able to play it on any player that you want to use. I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm not going to rip it and put it out over the Internet. I just want to watch it or I just want to listen to my MP3 uh, files. So those are the issues that are out there, and it's difficult, you know, for, for us to generalize because it is so varied. You know, the, the, the laws and the and the responsibilities are different by region and by country. So I just thought I'd mention it as something to, to be aware of. Uh, okay, so let's see. The first thing I wanted to, the first group of, of software here are video players. Now, I'm just kind of assuming that you've got the ability to watch video content, whether it's videos that you pull down off the Internet, of course, you know, legally. You know, let's say someone provides a, an MPEG-4 video file or an AVI file or QuickTime or something, or you, or you want to watch something on the Internet like, uh, you know, a trailer or movie trailer or something like that. You know, what kind of players are, are there that you can use? And then, of course, the other question is watching DVDs. Now, as far as the players themselves, uh, the, I've, to me at least, the, the, there's two biggies, uh, and it's M-Player and Zine. And 
mPlayer, mPlayer is the one I tend to use. Uh, mPlayer is, is actually a command line tool only, mPlayer. There is a graphical front end called gmPlayer, and I think it usually comes with mPlayer, and it's just a simple graphical front end. You can actually, you know, skin it, I believe, just like you can with Zine. Zine has a front end also. Um, and and uh, there's some issues with mPlayer. There were some issues a few months ago about possibly the site being shut down, but fortunately it's still around. But to me, mPlayer is is great. It's the easiest to use. When you first run it, I'm, again, I'm talking about the graphical uh, front end here. If you when you first run GM Player, you know, a little uh, a little bar type, you know, little panel thing opens up, and it it looks a little confusing at first. It 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 isn't the best interface, I guess. But basically, what I tend to do is I just right click on it, and you'll see a menu pop up that you can then navigate to DVD or file if you downloaded a, a video file or something like that. And uh, and then and then watch it through mPlayer. mPlayer for me, with the proper codex, has played everything I've ever thrown at it. The only um, issue, I guess, with mPlayer is as far as DVDs. If you have the proper libraries installed to uh, watch DVDs, it will play DVDs, no problem. But it doesn't, at least as far as I can tell, uh, have menu support. So in other words, if your DVD has a menu. You know, a movie has a menu where you can watch the movie or watch the extras or the outtakes and that kind of thing. It doesn't give you that menu. It just, boom, goes straight into the movie. And personally, that's what I kind of like about it. I can just go straight into the movie and I don't have to bother with the menu. But there are certain DVDs that I have that have extras and stuff on the menu that I want to watch. And Or if you have, you know, or if you have to go to the menu to choose a different language, perhaps, or if you need to choose subtitles or something, you need to use the menu. Now, I think mPlayer does let you uh, navigate within the menu tree. I think you can set the different uh, subtitles, but I'm not sure about the different languages. But mPlayer is a is a mainstay. I mean, it's one that a lot of people use. It's kind of tricky to package up yourself, so I would definitely recommend tracking down um, a binary for your distribution. If you use Ubuntu, you know, you can find a... Um, a file for, or, or you know, a, a deb for mPlayer. I think I think uh, Easy Ubuntu and Automatics both install it. I think there's one available maybe in the community repository. I'm not quite sure, but there are definitely uh, binaries out there for Ubuntu. Now another one is uh, Zine X I N E, and I don't know if that's the way you, right way you pronounce it. I've heard some people say Zine, but I always say Zine. Uh, Zine, a lot of people really like Zine. I think they find it very powerful, um, which it probably is. I find the user interface, at least for the default skin that comes with it, very confusing to use. I find it difficult to navigate. So I tend to not uh, use Zine all that much. However, Zine also provides Zine provides a, a back end or a framework, if you will, to, to that you can build other GUIs on top of. For example, there's a program out there called Gzine, and it's a GTK front end, a GUI front end for Zine. And so some of these players that we'll talk about, there are places you can choose what back end you use, whether it's Zine or GStreamer. GStreamer is a more modern framework. It's a GTK or it's a GNOME-based framework for audio and video. It doesn't in and of itself provide any GUI front ends. It provides a way to interact with audio and video and stuff, and then you can build GUI front ends for it. 
uh, like Totem, which I'll get to in a minute. But so Gzine um, is a graphical front end to Zine, which which uses Zine as the back end, as the as the framework to play video. The nice thing about Zine and Gzine is it supports menus. So again, if you you know if you need to navigate the menus, Zine does support menus. And Gzine, it's kind of nice if you if you use that graphical front end. It has a little remote control that you can. It's they call it the keypad. And if you go into the menu, you know you can select to turn on the keypad. And it's like a little. It looks almost like a TV remote control that sits off to the side. And you can use it to navigate the menus and play and start and uh, increase the screen width and all of that. Uh, so that's kind of kind of handy. Uh, but most of these other players have pretty easy graphical environments. I mean, graphical interfaces and and uh, keypad support. So you can just if you know the buttons to push, you can use that to play and stop and increase the resolution. So M Player and Zine are really the two biggies. They've been around a long time, and those seem to be the ones that crop up the most often. Now another one that's also been around quite a while is VLC or Video Land Client. And the nice thing about VLC is it's it's cross-platform. It's, it's available for, I believe this is right, Windows and Mac as well. And VLC, from what I've heard, I have not used it too much. I've used it some. I've had some problems actually playing DVDs with VLC. Not problems with 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 actually playing them, but but having it get to the DVD, you know, accessing the DVD ROM. It doesn't seem to like the way my system is set up, and it doesn't seem to find the the, the DVD ROM. Maybe it's missing some sim links or something, but every other player doesn't have a problem with it, so I don't know what it is about VLC. But but a lot of people I hear talk about VLC, really like it. They feel that it can play a lot of different codecs, a lot of different formats. You know, a lot of people say it'll play anything you throw at it, which I'm and I'm sure that's true. I just haven't really used it all that much. But the nice thing about VLC again is because it's cross-platform. If you can get it to work in Linux, you should be able to get it to work in Windows and Mac OS 10. I've heard of people using VLC in that fashion as a way to sort of, you know, have a baseline of players that you can use in different operating systems. So that's that's great. Uh, let's see. Another one is another video player is Totem. Now Totem is is new. There used to be no well Totem is the is the GNOME default movie player. There used to be a GNOME movie player called Ogle and I don't know what happened to Ogle, but I don't ever see it around anymore. Maybe it's not developed, but or maybe Totem is the new version of Ogle, but Totem is a very basic movie player. It comes with Ubuntu by default. It comes with a lot of GNOME distributions. It just does movies. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, do a whole lot else. It all it does, I believe, have menu support. And the nice thing about Totem is you can select whether it uses GStreamer or Zine as the back end. So I touched on this a minute ago, but, you know, again, these are we're talking about front ends and back ends. And GStreamer and Zine are two multimedia frameworks that can run in the background and 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 service different graphical front ends. So if you have GStreamer installed, if let's say you use a GNOME desktop and you use GStreamer for Rhythmbox and Banshee and some other GNOME tools, you can use Totem and have Totem use GStreamer and never have to install Zine. It's just a way to avoid, you know, cut down on the applications you need to install. And I think GStreamer is going to be great in, when it's stable, it's it's still relatively new and it's working fine. But uh, the idea is that GStreamer provides this framework for other developers to build all different kinds of applications upon. 
So that's Totem. Totem is really nice, very simple user interface, not very complicated. It's got, you know, you see the, you know, you see the menus in the GUI. Sometimes on these other players, you got to right click to find the menu and all of that. But this is looks much more traditional. It's a, just a box with a menu at the top, and you can open up different files and and different um, devices if you're watching a DVD, for example. And then the last one I'll mention, and this is one I haven't used very much at all, is Caffeine, because, again, I don't really use KDE, but this is a KDE player, and this also lets you use Zine or GStreamer as the back end. And what seems to be nice about Caffeine is it's a little bit more full-featured. It can even rip CDs and, and manage audio files, and I think it tends to be more of a full-featured multimedia application uh, jukebox, if you will, and it does a lot of different things. I've heard... Uh, Pat on the Linux Link Tech Show talk about caffeine, and some of the other guys there talk about caffeine. It sounds great, and I definitely need to check it out. I don't even think I've got it installed, but uh, but I've heard good things about that. So, video players, you've got basically M Player, uh, Zine, VLC, uh, Totem, which is really just a graphical front end to to Zine or or GStreamer, and then caffeine. So those are five good video players, and there's some more. There's a Democracy player, I think, is a newer one that's out there. There's there's others, but these seem to be the ones that that are that I see mentioned the most and that I've used the most. So those are video players, and again, they are dependent on the codec, so you need to investigate how to get the video codecs installed. But if you can do that, you can pretty much watch anything, meaning, uh, you know, uh, QuickTime and Windows Media Player and MPEG stuff and DVDs and almost anything you can imagine you can you can watch using one of these tools. Now, one thing I didn't really think about when I was planning this episode was the idea of, of watching this stuff within a browser, you know, as a plug-in. And that gets a little bit more complicated. There, you can do it, and I've got mine set up uh, to do that. I think um, Gzine can act as a as a as a plug-in. Uh, for Mozilla Firefox and for other browsers, oftentimes you end up using a little, there's a little program out there called Moz Plugger, M-O-Z-P-L-U-G-G-E-R. And that's a little plug-in for Mozilla and Firefox and, and other Mozilla you know, uh, browsers that then you can then use mPlayer or Zine or different different backends to watch video directly in your in your screen, and that works very well. In fact, uh, there's, you know, you can um, even have it set up to, I mean, even just like when you watch previews and things like that, it will, you know, it will play right in your browser. In fact, as I'm recording this, I'm actually firing up my Firefox and looking at my About Plugins page to see what I've got here. Now, what I've got is Gzine Plugin that lets you apparently use Gzine as the plugin, and that's what I think mine defaults to. And, you know, for some reason, I actually don't like using Gzine as my video plugin in the browser, but I also, there's a Totem Mozilla plugin that lets you use Totem, and uh, then there is MozPlugger as well, which lets you use, there's, oh, there's a VLC plugin, and there's MozPlugger, which lets you use mPlayer, mPlayer plugin uh, to watch videos in, in embedded in your in your um, browser, so okay. The next group of applications I want to mention were video editors. Now this is something that's kind of near and dear to me because I've said this before. We have a Mac here in our house, and my wife generally uses it. I don't use it, but the one nice thing about the Mac, I got to give it up to them, is the iMovie application. 
iMovie is a video editor on the Mac, and it is really good. It is really good because the nice thing about it is it lets you not only, of course, import your video and cut and crop and, and put titles in and all that, but it has a separate audio track also so you can put music in. And I, when my eldest son turned three years old several years ago, we had a big birthday party, and, and we filmed, I don't know, how many hours of video and it was centered around a train. It was sort of a train theme, you know, Thomas the Train and all this stuff. And and uh, so when I edited it down into a, I think I edited it down into a little 20-minute movie, I would, you know, in, interweave songs about trains that are out there and uh, with the with the with the audio from the from the from the film itself. So you'd hear people talking and there'd be a song playing in the background very softly and then when the people stopped talking the song kind of came up kind of like you would see in a movie or in a music video kind of thing or something and it was so easy to do. And unfortunately we don't have anything quite that fancy in Linux. But when I first started using Linux 4 or 5 years ago, I was testing all this stuff out back then because that's when I was first getting into using the iMovie also. And there was nothing good in Linux, I didn't think, at least nothing that worked well. And things have come a long way. So it's getting better, and it's going to get even more better as, as time goes on. The main video editors that are out there, so what I'm talking about are sort of linear video editors where you can crop and move move clips around and all of that. The main one is Kino. Uh, Kino is a GTK application. It can pull video in directly via Firewire and then you can crop and move things around, and, and it does basic titles and transitions. Those are things that iMovie can do, and Kino does them very well. I thought Kino was a little you know, crash-prone several years ago, but it has really matured. And, um, and, and the guy who's done it, uh, Dan Denny, I think is his name, he's done a really great job with maintaining that application. Uh, Cinelera is another one. Uh, Cinelera used to be called Broadcast 2000, and I don't know when they changed their name to Cinelera, but... It is a video editor, but man, um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you using it. I'm sure it's really good and full feature, but boy, it's got a confusing interface. I mean, it looks like something a professional would use, and it's just, it's just, it's just not that great. So it's possible to use it. I've never used it. I have done video editing with, in Linux with Kino, and it has worked just fine. The only thing missing, like I said, is is the ability to integrate outside video to have a separate track and, and all of that, but, but Kino works really well. Now, there's a couple others that I have not used that I've read about and that sound really good. One is, um, I'm not going to say this name right, but Avidmux, <laughs> Avidimux or something. It's A-V-I-D-E-M-U-X, and that one looks really good. It looks like you might be able to bring in another audio track. They say something on their website about that. They make it sound like it's not supported or something, but... It looks like you might be able to do that and edit and, and splice together both the audio and the video. So that looks very promising. Lives, L-I-V-E-S, is another video editor out there that I've heard mentioned before that also looks very promising. Again, have not used that. But the last one I want to mention that I have played around with just a little bit is called Diva. And Diva, I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was talking about the mono applications, Diva is a mono application. It's a it's a GNOME GTK mono application, and this looks like it could be an, an iMovie replacement. That's what I'm hoping. It's very early stages. It's alpha software, and it's but it's being developed pretty pretty rapidly, I think. And it, but it looks great, and the user interface looks fantastic. 
this, I think, could be something that, that uh, people could really get behind and use. At least that, that's my hope. Uh, so if you, I would definitely check out the Diva homepage because I think it's one to, it's, I think it's one to keep, keep, uh, keep an eye on. So those were the, the video editors. Uh, now the, the next group of applications that I was going to talk about were DVD authoring and ripping slash encoding tools. Let me talk about the second one first, the ripping encoding tools. Now, there are, of course, legal issues behind this, the idea of being able to back up your own DVDs. Or what I would like to do is take, you know, my wife and I have these these DVDs, these like, you know, child movie DVDs, and it's an entire DVD, but it's maybe only 20 minutes. It's like a Baby Einstein video or something. And it, the whole thing's on one DVD. So what I'd love to be able to do is back these up and put, multiple different episodes on one DVD for our backup purposes. So when we go on a car trip, rather than taking five DVDs of five 20-minute movies, put them all on one and, you know, encode them down a little bit, I guess, in, in size, but create a little menu and have all, all of them on one. But I think, unfortunately, there are some legal issues behind all of that. But there are the, the, the two tools that I see about ripping and encoding are DVD rip and acid rip. I've used both of them. They're both really good. I've had a little bit more success with Acid Rip. I find the interface a little bit easier to use, but DVD Rip seems more full-featured, and you can really tweak the settings uh, when it comes to the encoding part. And so if you if you really know what you're doing and you want to get down into the details to finesse the final file in terms of the you know the settings, DVD Rip is the way to go. But Acid Rip is also really good. But what those two applications do is they let you, you know, you can rip an entire DVD or just certain tracks, you know, if you want. If you just want one track out of a 10-track DVD, you can just pick that one track and just rip and encode that. The encoding is the step where the where the, the ripped video is then re-encoded using um, a particular uh, codec, whether it's XVID or um, uh, MPEG-4 or something like that, you can create a new file that's been re-encoded that has the video and the audio within it. There's more to it than that. I'm just kind of scratching the surface here, but I'm just pointing it out. So those are two ripping and slash encoding tools. Two others that I think are more geared towards just backing up and, and encoding an entire DVD are XDVD Shrink, which is actually a graphical front-end for DVD Shrink, that's the main application. That's a command line application, DVD Shrink. But XDVD Shrink is a little, I think it's a Perl script that runs a little graphical front end to it. And then there's Canine Copy, which is a KDE application that I've never been able to get working. I have it installed and I've tried it, but I, I, I don't know why. I just haven't been able to get that one to work. But I have used XDVD Shrink and that seems to work just fine. So for ripping and coding, you know, DVD Rip, Acid Rip, are full-featured ripping and encoding. And then if you just want to back up or copy a DVD that you own, you can use XDVD Shrink or Canine Copy. And then the final group of applications are DVD authoring tools. And these are ones where you've, you've got some video and you want to create a little menu and, and burn, burn it all onto a, uh, onto a new, fresh, blank DVD. And the two main ones that I've used are QDVD Author, which is a Qt, a Qt, which is a KDE-based uh, application, and DVD Styler. And I've used both of them with, with great success. They've both worked very well. The nice thing about QDVD Author is that the, 
the creator of QDVD Author and the creator of Kino have been working together to integrate the two. So if you were to edit video in Kino, you could export it into a particular file format, XML file and, and stuff, and then QDVD Author will import that, and then you can put the finishing touches on arranging your menus and then actually you know, burning the DVD or, burning or, or creating the files that you can then use another application to, to burn onto a DVD, like K3B, K3B or something. I've used both QDVD Author and DVD Styler. I'd probably use DVD Styler a little bit more, but but they're both excellent, and they both work, have worked for me very well. They make I just have made basic menus and uh, pulled the video in that I've edited together and put, put together into a particular order, and it will create the file structure and the menu. And, and I think both of these will then burn the DVD if you want, or as I said a minute ago, you can then use a separate application to burn the DVD, and I've done both. I've used DVD Styler to burn a DVD, and it worked fine. And then I've used K3B or Graveman or something like something like that instead, and that has also worked fine. So I've kind of talked about a lot here, and like I said, it's very basic, sort of high level. You know, I'm not getting down to the command line stuff about encoding because there's a lot there. I'm still learning it. I've just been doing some of this in the last few months, and there's so much to learn about encoding video in Linux. It's very confusing. So I don't even know enough to really talk about it in too much detail. But if you you know if you need help, maybe post in the forums and and maybe people can at least point you to some other sources about that that stuff if you're if you're interested in it. So that's it I think for this week, and it's about time to wrap it up. Well, thanks again, everybody, um, and thanks to those of you who have sent me the listener tips uh, and the feedback. Uh, as far as the listener tips go, I've got a few more lined up. I'm going to try to spread them out, you know, do one a show, but I've just got a few more to go for the next couple of episodes, so I, I definitely need more. So if you've got an idea, just record a little tip. As I've said before, it can be 30 seconds, it can be three minutes, just no more than five minutes, and something very basic, very simple, just something you think would, would, would be helpful and just record that and send it my way. You can send the listener tips and the uh, email feedback and audio feedback to linuxreality at gmail.com. Also, please check out the Linux Reality Forums. We've had some really good discussions lately about Linux, some sort of big picture type discussions that, that I think have been very interesting and, and fruitful. So if you want to check that out, please do so. And we've also, of course, got the Frapper map. We're now over 800 listeners. I think we're coming up on 850 on the map, which is pretty amazing. I mean, we've got way more listeners than that in general because not everybody does the map. But just to have that many people on the map is pretty cool. So thank you so much for that. All right, next week, I think what we're going to do is start talking about some networking issues. And I think what we'll do is we'll tackle Samba and Windows networking. And so check the, you know, stay tuned for that. I, I think that will be good and very helpful. So until then, this has been Linux Reality, Episode 24. Catch you all next time. Bye-bye.